Welcome to the King's Church Podcast. At the King's Church, we exist to see a greater worship of Jesus through declaring and displaying the gospel. You're about to listen to a sermon from our weekly corporate worship gathering. If you want to follow along with the sermon notes, they can be found on our website, kingschurchlkld.com. standing for the reading of God's word. Out of thankfulness to God for giving us his word, at the end of the reading, I will conclude by saying, this is the word of the Lord, and we invite you to respond together. Thanks be to God. Today's reading comes from Psalms 127 and 128. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of the warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Pat. I'm one of the elders here. Glad to have you with us today. Kids, I think you've got some people waiting in the back for you. You can take off. This is a great time, as Rob said, to pick up a cup of coffee. I don't suspect I'll be all that long, but just in case, it might be good to have a cup of coffee in hand. All right, let's pray and we'll get started. Our Father in heaven, uh, we are privileged to be here. In the midst of confusion and turbulence and uncertainty, We gather each week and remind ourselves that there's a thing that is true, true at the deepest possible level. And all of that is, all all that truth kind of rolls up into one person, Jesus, who is the Christ, the Lord of all that has been made. Remind us of that this morning. We can hardly hold on to it by ourselves. So we need the help of your spirit. We need the help of your word. And We need the help of one another. Give me grace today to remind my brothers and sisters of the truth in which we stand, the truth in which we rest. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. So I had an interesting experience this week. Um, Time Magazine's March edition came out this week, showed up in my news feed. One of those um, headline articles that they kind of uh, showcase had this title to it, String Theorist Brian Greene wants to help you understand the cold, cruel universe. Well, whether you know me or not, I'm kind of a sucker for those kinds of headlines. So 
I popped that thing open, and it was written by a guy named Jeffrey Kluger. Uh, Jeffrey's a rather prolific science and tech writer, so anything that Brian Greene, prominent string theorist, might write would not be uh, unknown to Jeffrey. I mean, he's not just some, you know, amateur uh, writing this article, and he's interviewing Brian Greene about uh, Greene's newest book. Let me, let me just read the way he starts off the article. Uh, this is Kluger speaking. He said, if you're feeling all dreamy about the universe, here's a pro tip. Don't tell Brian Greene. That guy can chill your cosmic buzz fast. I recently swung by the office of the Columbia University theoretical physicist full of happy, giddy questions and came away pretty much empty. Is there such a thing as a natural moral order? I wondered. Not in this universe, there isn't. What about a purpose to the universe? The reason the whole 13.8 billion year old shebang with its hundreds of billions of galaxies and trillions of planets happened in the, in the first place? Nope, says Green. No such purpose. Adding, and that's okay. Well, maybe for him it is, Kluger concludes. Surely, though, Green will grant the existence of free will, that first item on the wish list of every freshman year or philosophy student who'd ever lived. Sorry, not a chance. Your particles are just obeying their quantum mechanical marching orders, Green says. You have no ability to intercede in that quantum mechanical unfolding, none whatsoever. Hmm. So on Thursday morning, same week, um, I get together with Carlos and about a half dozen other brothers, and uh, we're sitting at Starbucks, and what do you suppose we're studying? Genesis 1-1, which reads just very simply, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we actually had a really good conversation. I mean, we observed that the, the, the universe is more than just merely a universe, that it's, it, it's actually a cosmos. You see, a universe can be this random kind of massive consequence of forces that are impersonal and undescribable, but not a cosmos. You see, a cosmos is designed. It, it's intentionally put in place by somebody for a purpose. And we're kind of reading Genesis 1-1, and lo and behold, it's talking about a cosmos, not a cold, cruel universe. We kind of celebrated that the, the cosmos declares the glory of God who created it, that it's intentionally designed to be fruitful and to support life as we know it, that there's, if you will, a certain grain to the universe, that if you move in keeping with the grain of the universe, it actually unfolds its, its riches and blessings so that God could give to all the creatures, plants, and uh, other this gift of being fruitful and, and multiplying. We also noted that people do have a choice. A at the very least, they can choose to see themselves as creatures intentionally placed here by God, or they can choose to deny everything about God and come up with their own theories about how it all, how it all came to be and how best to live in it. Brian Greene, this eminent string theorist at Columbia University, and Moses, who's the author of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis included, they can't both be right, can they? There's no way to take those two ideas 
and kind of weave them together. So, aha, that, yeah, that all makes sense now. It's just totally impossible. They're mutually exclusive ideas. There's simply no way for them to get together. Green's contention that there's no grain to the universe leaves us with this idea that you can just do what you want and hope for the best. I mean, it doesn't matter anyhow. So just enjoy the ride. Moses, however, on the other hand, contends that there is indeed a grain to the cosmos. It's not a random accident. That it does tend to fruitfulness and blessedness for those who stay in step with the grain, with the Creator. And then we come to our text this morning that Anna just read, uh, written by Solomon, by the way. I mean, if we want to talk about prominent authors, we've already named Brian Greene, who Time imagines is a prominent author, and I've mentioned Moses, who's kind of a prominent author. His writings have been around for a while. Solomon was another very prolific, very brilliant um, writer. He wrote both. Uh, he wrote at least one of the Psalms uh, that we read this morning, and both he and Moses are building their arguments on this premise that the cosmos, though it's broken for now, has a possibility of blessing, and it's possible to actually live in it. So I'm going to suggest this morning, for the sake of our collective thinking, that the main idea of these two psalms that we read um, is this. There is a way of living that aligns with the grain of the universe and that results in blessedness. And here's really the good news. The way can be found. It can be found. It's not spooky, mysterious, ethereal. It can be found. In order to help us get there, we want to kind of unpack the whole idea by looking at three questions. Uh, and if you know me, this is my way of doing it, man. We are, we're going to answer some questions or address some questions this morning. So let's get into it. What is this way of living that aligns with the universe, aligns with the cosmos? What, is the, what does this way of living look like? And then we need to be clear on what the blessedness is we're talking about because people's ideas of blessedness can vary widely. We want to make sure that we've got the right one. And then lastly, we'll kind of wrap it up with addressing the question of how do I align my life with the grain of the cosmos? Okay, so we're going to kind of walk through those three questions as we think about uh, this premise today. So first of all, what does it look like to live in a way that aligns with the grain of the cosmos? And the answer is really pretty basic and straightforward. In Psalm 128, verse 1, the author says this, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, comma, who walks in his ways. And I put that comma in there intentionally because we're basically just saying the one equals the other with that comma there, okay? So to fear the Lord is to walk in his ways. And let's just kind of unpack that a little bit because the fear of the Lord is one of those obscure sort of phrases that it, it means more than just the words, okay? We oftentimes think of fear as being scared, ah, or terror. And it is that. But when you put it together with the fear of the Lord, it's, it's something bigger and richer and more dimensional than just that. Here's my attempt at trying to identify or trying to uh, uh, define what we mean by the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is this. It's to order the way that I think, act, and feel in all of life under this conviction that the Lord is who he claims to be and that what he said is true and right and good. So when you see that phrase in the Bible, the fear of the Lord or fear God, I'm suggesting that that's what it is talking about. Now, truthfully, there is something fearsome about God. Anytime 
in the history of humanity that God has showed up, the people to whom and before whom he has showed up have had kind of this reflexive, visceral reaction. So if God were to show up this morning in the same way we read about him showing up at other points in history, there's not a one of us in this room who just would not have an immediate reflexive reaction that we could not control. We would fear God. However, fearing God can go in kind of two directions, okay? That visceral reaction can, can go in two directions depending on the loves of our heart, okay? If God shows up and the loves of our heart are pointed someplace else, then our response when he shows up is to cover and hide and run. Ah, God shows up. Think about Genesis in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, they've just decided they're going to do exactly the one thing that God has asked them, commanded them not to do. And they do it, and God shows up. If you remember the story, what do they do? Well, they've already covered themselves up because, oh my gosh, we're naked. What on earth? Have we been walking around like this for a long time? And then when God's voice shows up, they, they run and they hide. What's going on there? Well, they're fearing the Lord, but the direction their fear of the Lord is pushing them is not the right direction. They are imagining God to be somebody he is not at that point of time, point in time. Even though they've disobeyed him, God hasn't changed, okay? They've changed for sure, and the change has been massive, but God hasn't changed. It doesn't matter to them, though, because in their hearts, their hearts are already pointed away from him, and so fear for them drives them in a direction that is not towards him. You rewind a little bit and look at some other places in the New Testament or in the Old Testament where uh, God has showed up. For instance, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has this vision, and in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, and the whole foundation of the place shook, and the angels were singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, and the whole thing was this awesome, overwhelming, fearsome example, and God says, who shall I send and who shall go for us? And here's Isaiah's response, he said, here, I'm, I'm here. Send me. Now, the same experience, okay? God showing up in a way that evokes a visceral reaction. But fear in Isaiah's situation drove him to confess, I'm an unclean man and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips, to move towards and to seek to partner. Completely different response than Adam and Eve. And when we read it in this particular passage, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways, I'm sure you get that that's the kind of fear that we're talking about, okay? This fear of the Lord that moves me in the direction, that aligns me with the creator of the universe, that puts me into step with the grain of the cosmos, that's the kind of the fear of the Lord that's being talked about. So whatever, however we answer the question about what it means or what it looks like to align my life with the grain of the universe, it means the fear of the Lord that moves me into step with him. And then we have that nice little kind of a, pos or, or, um, a comma that I said, you know, this explanation, this expansion on what the word of the fear of the Lord means, to walk in his ways. And, th and that actually just includes two very simple pieces. 
It includes rule-keeping, number one, and wisdom, number two. Let me just talk about that for a second. Rule-keeping is the necessary part of my behavior under the conviction that my thinking, my acting, and my feeling must align with the fear of the Lord. Rule-keeping is that part that keeps me from doing harm to the rest of you, okay? And God has graciously given us rules that, when kept, minimize damage in human society, which, of course, makes sense. God's dealing with creatures like us. We're prone to mess our lives up and mess other people's lives up. So we need to be told what to stay away from. Just kind of think with me about the, the last half of the Ten Commandments, if, if you're familiar with those, okay? You shall not murder. Well, that's a good thing. Society has not helped when we decide to be a team of murderers. It's just not helped. You shall not commit adultery. Society has not helped. It's hurt when we decide we're just going to wantonly commit adultery with one another. Everything is just damaged by that. You shall not steal. Nobody's helped by that. Everybody's hurt when our property is no longer protected, safe, secure. You follow where I'm going with this? Rule-keeping is designed to prevent us from doing unnecessary harm to the human communities in which we live. The person who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways, gets that. But here's the other side of it. This is where it gets complicated. Life is more than just, uh, just rule-keeping. My guess is there's nobody in this room, and at least not a large collection of people who are saying, golly, I'd like to stop murdering, but I just can't who for every waking moment are thinking, murder, murder, murder. Nobody's like that, okay? There's a lot of life that goes on that doesn't include murder, doesn't include adultery, doesn't include stealing, doesn't include slander, doesn't include wanting everything, well, maybe wanting what everybody else has. Maybe there's a lot more of that going on than the other four of those commandments. But that said, there's cooking, there's sleeping, there's working, there's raising kids, there's being sick, a lot of that that we're dealing with this week. All of that plays out, and the fear of the Lord is to organize all of my thinking, acting, and feeling under the conviction that God is who He claims to be, and that what He has said is true and right and good. So how do we do that with cooking and sleeping and raising kids and being sick? etc., etc. Well, that's where wisdom comes in, okay? Wisdom is that ability to make the best and right choices when there aren't any rules to govern the choice. And most of life is filled up with those kinds of situations. There aren't rules for the most of life. There are just principles. There are just guidelines. There's just, if you will, a grain to the way things work. And Solomon, the same one who wrote Psalm 127, who we've already mentioned, he writes in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is that thing that produces in us what the Old Testament calls righteousness. And righteousness in the Old Testament is about the same thing as it is in the New Testament, but it just has a different kind of nuance to it. In the Old Testament, righteousness is mostly talking about that capacity that one person has to add benefit 
to the community in which they live. To add blessedness to the community in which they live. So track with me here. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. The person who walks in his ways is the person who has decided that against all of my own lust and desires, I am going to keep the rules. I am not going to cause harm to human society by breaking the rules. But he or she is also the person who decides that, and I am going to get wisdom. Because in the getting of wisdom, I can increase the good that I do to the human community of which I'm a part. This is what it means to walk in his ways, both to prevent the undue harm that I might otherwise do and to increase the good of which I am capable to its maximum limit in my life. So aligning my life with the grain of the cosmos looks like the fear of the Lord, looks like walking in his ways. Got that? Does that make sense? We, we, so far, so good? Okay, so let's just let that sit there for a minute, okay, because we'll try to bring it back together at the end. And make sure that we have the same understanding of blessedness. When we talk about blessedness, what are we talking about? I mean, blessedness is a big thing in these two psalms that um, Anne, Anne read, right? Uh, blessed is, the, is everyone, a little bit farther down, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Talks about a blessing coming out of Zion, coming out of Jerusalem. Um, blessed is the man who has his quiver full of them. I mean, blessing is a part of this whole set of psalms. And uh, here's the big idea when it comes to this blessedness. The blessedness that follows fearing the Lord cannot be found where we tend to look for it. Yet, when it is found, it satisfies more deeply than we ever expected. Which is in kind of an interesting tension, isn't it? The blessedness that follows the fear of the Lord cannot be found where we tend to look for it. Yet it satisfies more deeply when found than we ever really expected it could. Let me unpack that a little bit. Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it, labor in vain. Unless the Lord keeps watch over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It truly is vain to rise up early and go late to rest and to eat the bread of sorrow. For the Lord gives his beloved sleep. Now, just think about that for a minute. Aren't, all of, aren't those three things exactly where we think blessedness is going to be found? Unless the Lord builds a house. What's a house? House is an asset, right? So we are led to believe that by accumulating assets, increasing our net worth, growing our wealth, maximizing the amount of stuff that we possess, that's, what we're gonna, that's where we're going to be blessed. But that's exactly where Solomon is saying... No. And by the way, it's Solomon saying this. If anybody had the experience upon which to base this conclusion, it was Solomon. If you've been following along in our CBR reading this past couple of weeks, we've been reading about Solomon. The guy had it all, and yet, mm, not quite. Not quite. Okay? We tend to still think in our society, maybe in our minds, that if I can just get a few more assets, 
then I'll be happy. What about the next one? Unless the Lord keeps watch over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Well, that's just risk management, right? On the one hand, you have asset accumulation. On the other hand, you have risk management. Of course you watch a city. Of course you buy insurance against known risks and dangers. Of course you hedge your bets. Who doesn't? That's just, just smart. But you've got to realize there's more risks than you'll ever be able to hedge. There are more events than you can ever buy insurance for. You simply cannot get ahead of all of the things that can make you anxious. Now, if I'm telling a lie and you happen to be that person in the entire country or world who says, no, no, I have hedged all possible bets and I know how to do it, I will gladly relinquish the table to you and you can come up and elaborate. But my guess is there's nobody here who has hedged all of their possible bets. But you put all those things, you put the, 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 the bug to accumulate assets and to hedge bets together, and it drives us to think that, man, if I just work harder, that's the solution. That's why things aren't going my way. I'm just not working hard enough. I know. I'll get up a little bit earlier. And I'll stay up a little bit later, and I can always just grab a quick fast food meal on my way to yet another anxiety-producing, peace-robbing commitment. For so the Lord gives his beloved sleep. Isn't it funny how that in this day and age, the most common answer to the question, hey, how's it going? Oh, really busy. Man, just really busy. Tapped right out, man. Busy. And we fist bump, yeah, busy. Dude, you got it going on. Do you get that vibe or is it just me? Does it ever occur to us that being really busy does not equal blessedness? It just does not. It is more in keeping with blessedness to sleep than it is to be busy, right? And yet, well, just like everybody else in our society, that's kind of where we tend to look for blessedness. And Solomon makes it really clear that it's vain to try to find it there. It's just not going to happen. And he uses a really extreme word here when he says, unless the Lord builds the city, or excuse me, builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Same with watchmen, stay awake, in vain. Same, vain to get up early, to stay up late, to eat the bread of anxious toil. He's talking about something that is destructive. It's not just, you know, a bad choice. He's talking about something that's actually destructive. It's tempestuous. It's wasting. It's downright evil. It's utterly useless, totally pointless. And yet we continue to chase more money, more wealth, more hedges, more work believing that somehow it's going to produce blessedness. It simply is not. Only because it cannot, it just cannot do what we're hoping it will do. Because we're looking for blessedness in exactly the wrong place. 
exactly the wrong place, which is not to say we shouldn't be focused on assets. It's not to say we shouldn't be hedging bets. It's not even to say we shouldn't be working hard. It is to say that we should not be looking to those things as the source of blessedness. To find the blessedness that is inherent in these two psalms, we actually have to look somewhere else. And it's beautifully stated in the first couple of verses of Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Catch this. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it will be well with you. Your wife will be a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like, wild sh- or like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man or woman be blessed who fears the Lord. And Psalm 127 kind of echoes a complimentary tone, doesn't it? Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. It's really significant to note that the context of where blessedness is located is a context of home and family. You see it there? I mean, we've got children, we've got wives, we've got tables, we have houses. We even later on in Psalm 128 have children's children. And did you pick up the, the legitimateness of the blessedness we're talking about here? I mean, it's not just a superficial kind of thing that comes from getting more stuff or hedging more bets or working harder. I mean, it's a deep kind of satisfaction. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. A, a certain degree of occupational contentment implied there, which is not to say that your work is ever going to be anything but work. Nor is it ever to say that your job is going to be always fulfilling and satisfying. But it is to say that over the big picture of life, you can look back over the years you've invested in working and say, you know what? That was a good thing. My family was provided for. We had food every night. We had clothes. We had a roof over our head. We didn't always have a lot of extra money. But man, we had a peaceful, happy life. He says, there's a personal happiness that goes to it. It shall be well, or or excuse me, he shall be blessed. Different word here, by the way. Two different words for blessed in this psalm. I'm not going to bore you with the Hebrew behind it. But this particular one means he'll be happy. Everybody wants to be happy. But this guy, this one who fears the Lord, this guy just has this kind of deep, persistent smile that's going on. He's happy. And it's well with him. It's good with him. That same word used in the Old Testament when God created things and said, it is good. You get the sense that man, God was really satisfied with what he did there that day. It's so good to see God satisfied. It's that good right there. Shall be well with him. It's good with him. There's a deep level of personal happiness. And then your, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine around your table. There's that old saying that if mama ain't happy, ain't no one happy. Yeah, right? That could be in the Bible because it's true. <laughs> but the same thing is true about daddy. If daddy's a bear, everybody's scared. That's for sure. And everybody's walking on eggshells. Everybody's uncertain as what's going to come next. Listen, 
do you get what he's talking about? He's suggesting that for the person who fears the Lord, who is enjoying the blessedness that follows with walking in alignment with the grain of the cosmos, there's marital harmony. And there's nothing like marital harmony. God has wired us up to particularly thrive in an environment where the right person is spending the right amount of attention on us. And we are able to do exactly the same thing. There's something deeply fulfilling about that kind of a relationship. And it says here that the person who fears the Lord is experiencing the fruit of that kind of relationship. Duh. It's exactly what he's commanded us to do. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Wives, submit to your husbands. Respect and honor him in all things. Children, obey your parents in all things. Can you imagine what would happen if we just decided that, God, you are who you claim to be, and what you say is right, true, and good. We're going to do it. So husbands drop everything else, and they say, okay, honey, what is it that I can do to help? How can I love you like Jesus loved the church? And wives drop everything else they've got going on, and they say, honey, what can I do to help you? That's what I'm here for. When God created Eve, he created her to be this fabulous help to him. That's what I want to be for you. And kids, what if you teenagers around the house here... This is crazy, but has it ever occurred to you, kids who are living at home, that your life would be so much better if your mom and dad were happy with you? Ever occurred to you? Well, I wouldn't be able to do what I want to do. Yeah, well, welcome to life. Really, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying, of course you wouldn't. That's not the point. God hasn't called all of us to do what we want to do. He's called us to walk in his ways. That's how we align our life with the grain of the cosmos. So, just kids, if you just decided that you're going to keep the rules, you're not going to do things that make your parents hate you. Just don't. I don't want that to happen. I don't feel good about that. I, that I, I don't want to live in a place where the people who are my bosses hate me. So I'm going to do everything I possibly can to make it so that my parents don't hate me. And I'm going to take it a step farther. I'm actually going to figure out what I can do to increase the prosperity of the house in which I'm living. To increase the harmony of the house in which I'm living. To increase the happiness of the house in which I'm living. And I know... It's going to cause me to do chores and things that I don't want to do. But I'm going to bank that if I do that, it's just going to be a lot more peaceful around here. Does that make sense? This is the correct answer. Of course it makes sense. Of course it makes sense. Can you see the blessedness that the author of this psalm is talking about. What if we as a group of people just decided this is what we're going to do? We're going to align our lives in keeping with the grain of the universe. We're going to fear the Lord and to walk in His ways, and we're going to trust Him to bring to pass in our world the blessedness that is promised when the psalmist says, blessed is everyone 
who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. That sounds a little crazy in our society, doesn't it? Our society has this whole thing exactly reversed. It magnifies as the deepest and most meaningful events, the chasing of accumulation. That somehow, if I can just get a few more dollars, a few more assets, a little more stuff, a little higher on the ladder, then I will be satisfied. Men and women both. We're all pressured to invest more and more in our t- in, in, of our time and energy in the very pursuits that Solomon calls vain, destructive, useless, pointless. Which again, it's not to say that we should just all quit our jobs. It's not it at all. It is to say that we should shift our focus or at least look suspiciously at the values of a society where the celebrity heroes are people whose family and home lives are a mess, but who have somehow managed to amass billions of dollars. Do you see the trade-off? I'm suggesting here on the basis of what we're reading in the scriptures this morning, that's a wrong set of values. It cannot deliver on what it claims to promise. It does not have the capacity to do so. It cannot deliver. It will not deliver. My encouragement to you is to stop chasing it. And it gets even worse. I mean, at the same time that we're being told a set of actions and values that can never provide satisfaction are what we should be chasing, the place where blessing can be found is consistently portrayed as burdensome, ridiculous, and utterly relevant. I mean, think about it. Just think about it in popular sitcoms, okay? You've got Seinfeld, you've got Friends, you've got The Office. All three of those are comic relief options, alternatives to home and work. And yeah, they, they, they're funny because they're so true, but they're all just kind of saying the same thing. There is nothing but maybe a few laughs to be had in the silly pursuit of nothing, in Seinfeld's case, friends, in friends' case, and I don't know what they pursue in the office. Paper, I guess. Yeah, yeah. All the time, all the members of all the casts, have you ever noticed how they never go home? They never go home to their spouse. They never go home to their family. They just don't. They're always just hanging around one another's apartments. And they may not be trying to discredit the family as we're talking about it here in this psalm, but they certainly aren't recognizing it. They're certainly treating it like it's nothing. And it, it even extends down into children's program. I, I, you have Dora out there exploring, and there's no parent in sight. <laughs> right? Who has turned this little girl loose on the world? And what causes us to think that she's heroic somehow? And it's even worse. You've got Disney kids faced with adult-level social challenges, and there is not a competent adult in the room to help them. And when the parent shows up, he or she is an oaf or aloof or completely ridiculous, once again, only there for comic relief. 
Same thing happens in adult programming. Divorce is probably one of the most common themes in popular adult drama these days. Sexual promiscuity, it's just assumed. It's just assumed. Any show you turn on that people are going to be having sex with people who aren't their wives or their husbands. Just assumed. And what's wrong with you if you feel that there's something wrong with that? The new damsel in distress in our society is the single mother raising children on her own. Which is not to say that some women don't end up as single mothers in, because of dreadful situations. But there's no more princesses and castles to be rescued. It's just broken family relationships that are somehow okay. Is it any surprise that so few, few people imagine that deep and meaningful satisfaction can be found in home and family? When you've got that flood of values being poured at us, those assumptions behind the stories that make us laugh, just being driven and driven and driven into our hearts. And please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we should quit our jobs, that we should turn off our TVs or anything like that. I'm just saying, let's think. The fear of the Lord is to order my thinking, my acting, my feeling, all of life under the conviction that God is who he claims to be. And that what he has said is true and right and good. And that enables us to have some stability in a universe that, according to Brian Greene, otherwise has no real purpose and, well, it's okay. Guess we just have to enjoy the ride. I'm arguing with you that the world isn't that way. It doesn't work that way. And your life will not be blessed if you follow that line of thinking. But, 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 blessedness can be had. There is a way of living that aligns with the grain of the universe. So let's just take a few minutes at the end here to think about it. So how do I do that? How do I align my life with the grain of the cosmos in hopes that this blessedness promised might accrue to me? And I think the answer has to come from just the fact that we're talking about the Psalms of Ascent here. So remember, Ian's talked about this a little bit over the past few weeks. These are the songs that the Israelites sang as they made their way from wherever they lived to Jerusalem for the three feasts, the three primary feasts of the Jewish calendar every year. Just kind of think through that. I think through that in terms of, of four steps. They're on the screen. You can kind of maybe piece it together in your mind. If I want to align my life with the grain of the cosmos, step number one is I've got to forsake what deserves less love for what deserves more love. And I'm intentionally using the word love here. I have to forsake what deserves less love for what des deserves more love. Think about it. If you're a pilgrim, if you're one of the people on the road, let's see, what have you left behind to be on the road to Jerusalem? Oh, assets. You've left your house behind. Hmm. Not only that, if your house was in a city, you've left your city behind. And let me see. If everybody's on the road to Jerusalem, who's there to watch the city? Hmm, that's right. Nobody. And what were you doing yesterday before you took off on this journey to head towards Jerusalem? Oh, yeah, I finished work last night. It's a rough day. What are you leaving behind? Your work. All of the things that are vain, unless the Lord is involved in them, the pilgrims left behind. In other words, they forsook 
what deserved less love. It's not to say you shouldn't love those things. You should. You just love it less than the things that deserve more love. And you demonstrate that in an action that is more like forsaking. In other words, if you're a pilgrim, you walk away from it. You set it down, you leave it there, and you focus on what deserves more of my love right now. Step number two is you reorient your lives to the Lord, or excuse me, your loves to the Lord and to His Word. And that's what happened when they got to Jerusalem for the feasts. They reoriented their loves from whatever else had been cluttering their hearts to the Lord and to His words. They'd read the Scriptures to one another. They'd share the ceremonies with one another. They'd step out of the daily drama of life and they would focus their love on the Lord. There's this classic testimony of somebody who, who, who did that in, in the book of Psalms. I just want to take like two or three minutes to read it to us because I think it's just so appropriate to this point and it's such an expression of what happened when these people would travel to Jerusalem. Psalm 73, Psalm of Asaph. Asaph gets real honest with us and with everybody else. Let me read what he says. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, man, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Here's why. I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their, their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, as people turn back to them and find no fault in them, and they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I'm going to talk about this, I'll speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until... I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they're destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord. When you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in my heart, I was a brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart, they may fail, but 
God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Isn't that a great example of reorienting your love to the Lord and to his word? That's what these people were doing. That's how they did it. Step number three, then, is they re-entered the daily drama and sought to live out this new reoriented or this reoriented love. They, they came home after the feast was done. They just didn't stay there and keep feasting. They came home. They came back to their wives, came back to their families. They came back to their houses, back to their cities together, and they said, we're going to keep the rules because we don't want to do harm. We're going to get wisdom because we want to expand the success, the prosperity of the society in which we live. And for the next season, they did their best to reenter their daily drama and live out this reoriented love. But in the same way that feasts have a limited duration, so our ability to stay reoriented has a limited duration. Good news is, when God organized Israel, he gave them another feast just a couple months from here. And so they repeated the cycle regularly and intentionally. I think that there's something for us to learn there, right? If we want to know how it is that we align our way of living with the grain of the cosmos, it has to at least include something like these four steps, right? A forsaking what deserves less love for what deserves more love. A reorienting of our loves to the Lord and to his word. Then a re-entry into the daily drama that God has given us to live in with a renewed commitment to live out the fear of the Lord and to walk in his ways and to recognize that, man, I cannot by myself get that straight forever, so I need to repeat that cycle regularly and intentionally. My brothers and sisters, let me tell you this. However brilliant Brian Greene is, and I... Please, don't misunderstand me. I mean no disrespect to people who invest their life in science or discovery or education. I don't, I don't mean disrespect to Brian Greene. Not at all. But however brilliant he is and however many books he's written on complex ideas involving string theory, he's wrong about the cosmos. He's just wrong. He's wrong about there being no moral order. He's wrong about there being no purpose. He's wrong about there being no choices. And the tragic thing for Brian, maybe, I don't know him, is that his ideas have probably paid off nicely for him. I mean, you write a bunch of books, and he has. Probably has a fair net worth. He probably has a lot of stuff. He's got plenty of fame. Time Magazine decided that they were going to go talk to him, not me. He's at least more famous than me. You know, more credible... Than me, you too, by the way, you, you laugh at me. She didn't come and interview you either, so we're all on the same page here, okay? However well Brian Greene's ideas are paying off for him right now, it doesn't change the fact it's vain in the end. 
My brothers and sisters, he's wrong. And I can say this with absolute confidence because a man named Jesus entered history. The record contends that he, Jesus, is actually the creator of the cosmos. All things, John says, were made by him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. That's the record of who this Jesus was. The gospel records his remarkable life, and it looks exactly like the blessedness in these psalms. He was the only human being who has ever kept all the rules all the time. Add to it, the whole world, particularly in his day and age, and especially in ours, has been blessed and benefited by what he has done. I mean, blind people received their sight. Deaf people received their hearing. Lame people were up and walking. Oppressed people were set free. The poor had the good news announced to them. He expanded the good of the world in which he was placed. And then at that critical point where all the wrong ideas about the universe and how it really works came to a head and won, he died. But those ideas didn't prevail, did they? Because he, and he alone, proved that death was not the end of anything except death. He rose. In the end, the cold, cruel universe physicists like Brian Greene imagine is actually not the end. The record shows that this same Jesus who rose from the dead ascended into heaven. That is, heaven beyond the heavens. Where right now, however messy, confused your life might be, right now, that Jesus is governing your affairs. There's nothing happening in our personal experience in our world that is not carefully metered out by the Lord of the universe, whose name is Jesus. And a day is coming, maybe in our lifetime, when he shall return. And he has promised that when he comes back, he will set right what has gone wrong. Things that are a mess will not be a mess anymore. And you know, that, that, that's why we gather here each week. It's why we regularly and intentionally show up for things like city group, things like Sunday morning service. We don't have the feasts that the Israelites had, but we still have the opportunity to regularly and intentionally repeat the cycle to remind ourselves of what is true and right and good, that we need help ordering our thinking and our actions and our feelings under the conviction that Jesus, the Christ, is Lord. That's why we gather. That's why we share the Lord's Supper together. That simple ceremony invested with the most significant meaning by Jesus himself, that simple ceremony, it, it reorients us, it reorients our loves towards the Lord and towards his word. It reminds us that we can stand before God because Jesus stood in our place. We take the time to remind ourselves that we're prone to make poor choices. We're prone to chase vain things. 
We find encouragement in the truth that Jesus' righteousness has been granted to us by the grace of God, which gives us this ability to sing. You get the connection? With why we do what we do here every week and why we do it the way we do it every week? It's so that we can maybe, by the grace of God, realign our way of living with the grain of the cosmos and enter into the blessedness that is indeed a part of what God has created and find the way home. So during this next song, my encouragement, my invitation is if you're a brother, sister in Christ, while the musicians are playing, come up to the tables on the side, um, collect the elements for the Lord's Supper, a piece of bread and a little cup of juice, take it back to your seats. While we sing the next song, Rob will come up and lead us in that part of our service where we confess our sins publicly to one another, with one another, um, and partake of the Lord's Supper together. As we always say, please don't feel pressured to participate in this. And at the same time, don't take it lightly. Lord's Supper is a meaningful part of reorienting our loves to the Lord and to His Word. We invite you, encourage you to take it seriously. So as we get ready for the Lord's Supper, let's, let's pray and thank God.